0: Blaze on demand. This is Ben Weingarten of The Blaze Books, and today I'm joined by Professor Walter E. Williams, author, most recently, of American Contempt for Liberty. Dr. Williams is the John M. Olin Distinguished Professor of Economics at George Mason University, a nationally syndicated columnist, and author of a number of compelling titles, including a couple of truly eye-opening ones, such as The State Against Blacks and South Africa's War Against Capitalism. Dr. Williams, thank you for joining me.
1: And thank you very much
0: for inviting me. American contempt for liberty is really about how America has become unmoored from its founding principles. And you write as someone who has dealt with probably a lifetime of scorn from progressives who can't understand how a black person who grew up in the 40s and 50s in urban, inner city Philadelphia could end up with the ideas. That you have. So, what was it about your upbringing that made the founding ideals resonate in a way that didn't happen with your counterparts growing up?
1: Well, it, it wasn't all. I was not always this way. Uh, uh, I guess maybe the uh, the uh, basic characteristic of me is that uh, that I've always been a radical, one sort or another. And I maybe I heard that from my mother. Uh, that is my my vision. Of life it was uh that uh, you know let me do whatever I want to do uh so long as I'm not uh uh violating someone else's property rights now the uh, my ideas became a little more sophisticated when I went to college and when i uh started reading uh Pe when professors introduced me to uh, the works of people like uh Friedrich Hayek and milton friedman and uh and and many other free market people uh but however uh i, I was not always uh, the, uh, a free marketeer but i've always been a radical uh you know there you know i i at one time i believed that uh, the minimum wage was was very good and it wasn't until I i guess i got to uh UCLA uh, where one professor asked me well williams do you care about the effects of policy or do you care about the intentions of policy and so i said the effects and so he uh, he he gave me a a material to read, and and I read, and I said, and I showed, and, and I found that that the effects of the minimum wage law are quite different from the uh, the intentions behind the support for the minimum wage law. But uh, I I've, I'm always I'm always, and I think I still am a person who believes that that in in, in self ownership, that is, that is, I am my property, and I am my private property. And once you assume the idea of self ownership. And certain things are moral, and certain things immoral. And and the reason why, for example, murder is immoral is because it violates private property. Rape is immoral; it violates private property, and so is theft. So, uh, the, the the this this idea of uh, of self ownership, I think, is a very very important uh, uh, premise uh, for from which I begin to think about almost everything.
0: That leads you to critique everything from free trade to immigration and, and, and on and on. And in American Contempt for Liberty, your basic thesis is that Americans do not appreciate or love the liberty that they think they have and have lost.
1: Oh, that, that is, That's absolutely right. I think that Americans believe, uh, most Americans believe, and I don't think they would articulate it as such, but they believe that government should... Uh, forcibly use one American to serve the purposes of another and uh, that is whether it's using uh, you or me to serve the purpose of the farmers that is to deepen to uh, dig into our pocketbooks and and give the farmers money in terms of uh, crop subsidies or bailout banks or or give money to poor people or foreign aid uh, that is uh, the average American believes that this is a moral thing to do, or, or expressed another way, uh, the average American believes that one person has the right to live at the expense of another, and I think that this is immoral, and I think it's a, uh, it goes against our founding principles.
0: Premise, which that one man living off the fruits of another is immoral and should be unconstitutional by any clear-minded reading, really takes its roots. In Bastia, and before that, in Locke, and and beyond in history. Question for you: You you frequently said a statistic that between two thirds and three quarters of what Congress does is unconstitutional. Given that that's the case, have we liberty lovers lost, or is there any cause for optimism in America?
1: Well, well, I I don't think there's much of a cause for for optimism because if you uh, the I, I think because Americans uh, have contempt for the founding principles. Now, what I mean by that is that uh, I think almost everybody will believe, uh, everybody recognizes that James Madison is the acknowledged father of the United States Constitution. And so James Madison ought to know what's in it. And in 1794... Uh, Congress appropriated $15,000 to help some French refugees. And James Madison stood on the floor of the House irate. And he said, and I'm quoting him, I cannot undertake to lay my finger on that article of the Constitution, which granted a right to Congress of expending on the objects of benevolence the money of their constituents. James Madison also said, uh, Charity is no part of the legislative duty of the government. Now, where the contempt comes in is that imagine that a presidential candidate today is running today and he makes the same statements that james madison made the american people would run him out of town on the rail they, because they have contempt for that particular idea and and uh, when, when you talk about madison saying well uh, Congress does, can't spend money on the, uh, you know, on the objects of benevolence. If you look at the federal budget, two-thirds to three-quarters of it is for the objects of benevolence. That is, you can describe two-thirds to three-quarters of the federal government as follows. That is where Congress takes the earnings of one American and gives them to some other American. Now, I think that uh, people should recognize. I'm not making an argument against taxes because everybody ought to pay their share of the constitutionally mandated functions of government. But no person has an obligation to be uh, to be forced to give money to some other person.
0: It's that notion of legalized theft.
1: That's right. That's what that's what Bastiat called it, legalized theft. And matter of fact, he said he gave us a tip on how to talk, how to discover. Government plunder uh, or government theft. He says, "See whether the government is doing something that, if you did the same thing, you would get arrested for it." And
0: that, that's a standard that no congressman, unfortunately, lives by today. And, right. and 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 you talk about you talk about the fact that it would be political suicide, in effect, today for a politician to attack this system, this progressive system that's metastasized and part of that is because we have this belief in America in the notion of democracy and you write and I think this is a really this is a point that has to be made again and again that the word democracy does not appear in the constitution or the declaration of independence and our founders explicitly warned against democracy so how did we get to a time in America where you have elected officials who think that America is a democracy and make your best case against democracy as a form of government?
1: Well, I, I think that, uh, uh, number one, um, uh, majority, democracy and majority rule gives an aura of legitimacy to acts that we would otherwise deem as tyranny, uh, just for example of that, um, uh, you know, suppose it were decided through the democratic system um, what you should have for your uh, Thanksgiving dinner, whether you should have turkey or you should have ham, or you should you have ham. Suppose that were decided through the democratic system. Most people would view that's tyranny. It's none of the government's business what I have for Thanksgiving dinner or or what kind of clothes you wear or what kind of car you drive. That is, that is it, most people would not want their... Their day-to-day decisions decided by the political arena, and if they were, uh, they would view it as tyranny. <laughs> but however, uh, the the founders, the evidence that the founders uh, saw democracy and majority rule as offensive, is that is all the guards that they put in the Constitution against uh, uh, majority rule. Uh, for example, it takes a uh, you know a president; he can offset the. The uh, the uh, the wishes of, of of 535 members of the of the Congress just by vetoing it, and it takes two thirds to uh, to overcome the president's uh, veto. Uh, and, uh, the uh, the presidents are not elected by majority vote. the the The, the presidents are elected uh, through the uh, uh, the college the uh, electoral college. Uh, so there 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 are many of these. Uh, anti-democratic provisions uh, in the United States Constitution, because the founders actually uh, came out and said that democracy uh, is, is evil. It gives an aura of legitimacy to acts that would be otherwise uh, uh, considered uh, a tyranny.
0: And democracy, of course, also undermines individual rights and minority rights, because the majority can choose to vote away the rights of the minority.
1: That's right, and as a matter of fact, if, if you look at uh, uh, Federalist Paper 10, uh, this is where Madison uh, talks about the tyranny of the majority.
0: When you see a situation today in which the welfare state grows and grows, if we're even allowed to use the phrase welfare state anymore, and you talk about, for example, Social Security, that... Americans should have control over their retirement, and it shouldn't be a, a government which dictates that you pay into a system which is, in effect, a Ponzi scheme. So, given that practical reality, how would you, Walter Williams, go about replacing the entitlement state?
1: Well, I, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm not quite sure uh, how it can be done. Uh, that is, what, I think one of the ways that that uh, it could be replaced uh, is to is to say to is for uh, Congress to be able to say to the uh, American people that everybody over the age of 45 or 50 uh, we will meet our social Security commitment, the promises that we made. Uh, all those under uh, age 45, uh, you can just forget about all the money that you put in Social Security we'll, we will not tax you anymore for Social Security and you take care of your own retirement. Now the reason why the age I, I selected age 45 is that uh, if you, um, if, you know, if you're 45 years old and you uh, put the same amount of money that you would have put into Social Security into a private retirement system uh, by the time you're 65 years old, you would break even with what you get in uh, what you would have gotten in, uh, from Social Security. So what we have, to, I think, what we have to do, is to recognize that Social Security was a mistake, and we have to recognize we we have to do something about it. Now, under the current scheme, I believe even the Social Security Administration's conservative estimates, they're estimating that between somewhere around 2040, somewhere between 2030 and 2040, the Social Security tax alone will have to be somewhere around 30% uh, to pay. The, um, the benefits that are promised to people a day, and that's social security tax alone. It does not include the federal tax and other kind of taxes. And, and I don't believe that a 30 percent social security uh, tax will fly uh, will politically fly in, the, uh, in, in 2030, 20,40 or 2050. And so if the system is going to collapse, it's just a matter of when.
0: You have young Americans who, in spite of not learning about the founding principles or real American history or real civics, do understand the basic math that they're paying into a system that they will never benefit from. And given that that's the case, there are some folks who are open to the idea of some form of opting out of our system. But you always run into an issue when you talk with younger people of – and this is on any libertarian issue, well, what's your alternative? In the case of the entitlement state, you have an essay in American Contempt for Liberty that's titled Handouts, Morality, and Common Sense, where you speak to how America functioned for multiple hundred years before the welfare state. Expound upon that for us.
1: Well, one of the things I point out is that uh, today, uh, federal spending is roughly 25% of the GDP, and and total government spending is over 40 percent of the gdp now it turns out that from 1787 until around 1920 the federal government was only three percent of the gdp except during wartime now during that interval between uh 1787 we went from a third world poor country in 1787 and then 1920 when we were about the the uh, world's richest and most powerful country. And so we say, well, so people might say, well, well how do we do it? Well, I think that the major reason that we, we were able to do that is because government pay, played a very, very small role in our lives Uh a government uh, was, uh, as I said, it was only uh, federal government was only three percent of the GDP, and state and local governments totaled about nine percent of the GDP, and so uh, I think that 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 limited government explains our great wealth, and and also we had a stable uh, legal system. That is. Uh, you you could depend on laws uh, uh, being stable. You, you know, laws did not change over time. They uh, uh, you know, and I think that's very very important for investment. That is, if you're investing in something and there's a long payout period, well, you want to make sure that the laws uh, thirty years from now are the same as the laws now. But however, now you you know you don't know what Congress will do five years down the line, and 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 uh, really mess up your uh, investment calculations. So, I think that I, and and uh, I ne- another very very important point about this is that you hear people say, "Well, this government program is very important. We we well we just have to have food stamp program because people will starve." And I ask and I ask people, "Well, look." In the 1840s, when the poor Irish were coming here, fleeing the the Irish Potato Famine, landing in New York without a, without a much more than the clothing on their back, how uh, they make it? What was their food stamp program? Somehow they made it. Uh, and if you look at a lot of people say, "Well, we need the Department of Education," well the department of education was created in the in 1970s and but however we became a rich and powerful country and a well educated country without a department of education the saying well we need housing and urban development well we built the most powerful cities in the world uh, with, without uh, uh, a uh, a housing and urban development. And matter of fact, kind of interestingly, it was after the housing and urban development was, uh, uh, the uh, Department of uh, the Housing and Urban Development was created, that cities began going down the tubes.
0: And the cynical person might say that the creation of all of these entities was merely about buying off different constituencies in the, in the country.
1: Well, of course, of course, you know, and that's that's what the that's how government grows and 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 matter of fact if you look at if you look at washington d c yeah, this is a major home for lobbyists that is there are thousands of lobbyists and making uh millions of dollars in uh in money and they're making and billions of dollars in campaign contributions and they're not buying a, they're not paying uh congressmen and senators to um uh, to uphold and defend the United States Constitution, they're buying, they're they're giving this money so they have access and they can get favors, and so uh, that's just that's just name of the political game.
0: Another service that people demand is that everyone, and and this is the word used by those on the left. I don't know if a majority of Americans agree with it or not, but those on the left say that health care is a right. You talk about, and I think this is a. Just a great point that should be hammered home again and again, you talk about how a supermarket functions, and that the implications of how a private grocery store functions are huge when it comes to explaining why government controlled health care will be an utter failure and literally cost Americans lives. Speak to that
1: well i, I think that um, uh, you when when people say want government to uh Arrange, uh, you know, take care of various things in our lives. Uh, they they don't consider that uh, much of the problem of resource allocation has to do with information. And there's no way that a government official or a bunch of officials or a bunch of very very smart people will have the kind of information that's widely dispersed among uh, many many uh, uh, individuals. And I sometimes I use the uh, supermarket as an example. I say that uh, uh, the average well-stocked American supermarket has about 65,000 different items on the shelves. And you ask the question, how do all those items get there? Every time you go to the supermarket, they have what you want. Uh, and, I, and I gave one example in one of the uh, articles of uh, you, pretending that uh, one person is... Whose job is uh, is to make sure that bananas arrive at the supermarket every day and so uh and, and so what i'm saying is that all the inputs that go to make sure that bananas arrive are 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 numerous that is uh you have to know something about shipping because ships bring the uh, uh bananas from uh, say Costa Rica to uh, uh to New York and you have to know about the metal uh town of mine and get ore to to build a ship and and people who make eyeglass, people who make shoes. I mean, there are literally millions of inputs that go to getting uh, uh, bananas to the supermarket, and no one person has the amount of knowledge to, to be able to uh, uh, manage all that. And when people say... Uh, they want to put government in charge of things. Well, they're assuming that a person or a group of people can be smart enough to have all this information that's necessary. And by the way, when we t- when some people say that uh, uh, health care is a right, well, uh, they have to recognize that that's a weird sense of, of the word right. That is, a a right is something that exists simultaneously among people and does not uh, impose a burden on another. For example, my right to speech, free speech, does not impose a burden on anyone, other than non-interference. Or my right for freedom of travel, uh, does not impose a burden on anyone else except that of non-interference. But if you use right the way that people, if you use my right to travel. If you think of my right to travel the same way that people say that we have a right to health care, well, then my right to travel would require that somebody else pay my airline tickets and, and uh, my hotel accommodations at my destination. And I'm afraid that most, persons, most people would say, well, Williams, you have a right to travel, but I don't have any obligation to pay for it. That's the same thing I feel about health care. You have, a right, you have a right to health care, but I don't have any obligation to pay for it.
0: Unfortunately, that kind of common sense is uncommon today. You just very well elucidated everything from the non-aggression principle to ideas about knowledge and, and price discovery, in effect. And unfortunately, Americans, the average American student, will never hear the names Hayek, Leonard Reed, Walter Williams, George Gilder, and, and, and that gets me to a line in your book that I think is so critical. The bo- and I'm quoting here, the bottom line is that spending is not our basic problem. We've become an immoral people demanding that Congress forcibly use one American to serve the purposes of another. Deficits and runaway national debt are merely symptoms of that larger problem, unquote. How do we educate people so that we are again a moral country? You talk about vouchers and tax credits, but would students even in those, let's say, charter schools, get a real education grounded in our principles, or will it just be a better version of progressive education on steroids?
1: Well, I I think that um, that if our problems resulted from ignorance, uh, that would be optimistic. Because ignorance is curable through education, but I uh, I don't think our problem is ignorance. That is our problem is contempt for the for the values of liberty. It's a uh, contempt for the founding uh, principles. Because if if I were to tell the if I were to tell the average American, look, there's nothing in the Constitution. Uh, that, uh, he, let's say he did not know it, but I say, look, there's nothing in the Constitution that authorizes uh, government for, uh, to take the, from one person and give to another. Uh, he, he yeah, I could tell him that, but he would find content with that idea, even though he would know that that's in the Constitution. He said, well, I want I want it anyway. I want the right to live at the expense of somebody anyway, or, or I deserve to have my college education paid for. I deserve to have a farm subsidy or government should give to uh give money to needy people and and I think that what the average american ignores is that the only way you know those programs coming out of washington they don't represent congressmen and senators reaching in their own pockets sending out their own money so that means that they that they don't have any resources moreover there's no tooth fairy or santa claus that gives them the money so when you recognize that government has no resources of its very own, it forces you to recognize that the only way the government can give one American citizen one dollar is to first, through intimidation, threats, and coercion, confiscate it from some other American. But however, uh, if if I told somebody that, they say, well, I still think I need uh, my college money. I still need farm subs. You, you still have to help business out. You still have to uh, provide uh, Medicaid or or food stamps, they would have just uh, they have contempt for the idea. So, so I, I think it's a uh, I think educating people is not going to do very very much. It's going to help some. It's it'll, it'll help in the margin, but it's not going to do very much.
0: Transitioning a little bit, unlike a lot of other libertarians who will argue that simply non-interventionism on foreign policy, but free trade, will ultimately make us all peaceful neighbors uh and and you make the case based upon studying history that actually in fact different peoples are different there is evil in the world and you need to deal with it as such on libertarian grounds so explain how your libertarian principles inform your foreign policy with respect to say in iran or any of the other islamic supremacist groups in the middle east
1: well i think that um uh, unfortunately, uh, we we live in a world where uh, not everybody shares the the uh, same values of uh, of liberty that that let's say uh, Americans share. And Americans, uh, we just mentioned that, that that there's even some question about the American vision for liberty. But however, Americans uh, have a, a greater respect for private property rights than others than other people in, in other parts of the world and so that means that well we have to be able to defend ourselves and uh, and and national defense is indeed one of the legitimate functions of the uh, of the federal government so if you find a nation uh let's say like uh, iran and that has that is uh that has very little regard for human rights that might be uh developing, uh, nuclear weapons, uh, and, and maybe threatening our, our interests or lead to, lead to a, uh, a threat to our interests. I think we need to be able to use our force to stop them. I don't believe in military adventurism, but I believe that we should do those kind of things, those minimalist, m- minimalist things that allow us to, uh, um, uh, protect ourselves. I mean, if you look at, uh, you look at the second world war, uh, the, uh, uh, you, uh well germany was was violating the versailles treaty uh, at the end of the world war 1 and they were building a uh, military capacity and in the mid 30s france alone could have stopped uh, uh hitler's uh, uh build up but the but the france and other nations of the west just ignored him and and, uh, and allowed them to continue building uh, weapons, and, and uh, Germany was at was territorial um, ideals. And so uh, if we had stopped in the 1930s, we might have uh, avoided the loss of some 50 to 60 million lives during World War uh, II. So uh, I think that we have to act on, uh, on aggression.
0: Another important element of national security concerns national sovereignty and our borders. So, what would be the Dr. Walter Williams' plan for dealing with illegal immigration and immigration more broadly in America?
1: Well, I think uh, my, my sentiments about immigra- immigration are are expressed at the uh, foot of the, of the Statue of Liberty. I think I, I think America is a huge land and 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 we can open it to many, many many more people and I think as uh, a matter of fact, we are a nation where many of the many of the people came here were immigrants, but the point is is that they came here uh, uh legally and uh it, and people do not have the uh, right in my opinion to to violate our laws and I th- so but now I think that one of the things that we need to do is to make uh, legal immigration a little bit less burdensome and uh... allow people to come to our country Now, the way we can now immigration uh... poses a problem today that it did not pose in yesteryear that is uh... immigrants came here to work and that is if they did not work they would starve because we did not have a welfare system today immigrants can come here and uh... and not work and live off the rest of us and we have too many americans living off the rest of us uh, and then also a big problem with immigration today is that in the past immigrants came to our country to to become americans they wanted to become americans they adopted our custom they adopted our language english now immigrants will, will uh, want to come, and they want to bring their they want to bring their own culture. They want to bring many aspects of their failed culture. They they want to immigrate here and and demand that ballots be written in their language in their home language. Um, they 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 want to bring uh, in some cases Sharia law to our country, and so immigration uh, is is a is a little bit different from what it was in the past
0: in all your years studying economics, politics, history, what is the most vital lesson that you've learned?
1: Oh, that that's a pretty hard question, I think. I, I think that the I think that the uh the basic uh lesson uh for for anybody is that that uh there's as Milton Friedman used to say that there's no free lunch. Uh there's a uh, uh there's a cost to everything uh even though the price might be zero there that doesn't mean that there's no that there's zero costs and so uh I think that what we need to do is uh try to what, what economists have to do a better job of is trying to uh, uh teach our fellow american or our fellow world citizens uh, that there's a cost to everything that there's no free, that that there's nothing uh free
0: you had a megaphone. Let's say you could run a thirty-second ad or a, or a two-minute ad during the Super Bowl and deliver a message to all Americans. What would that message be?
1: Well, I think that uh, Americans are, are, at their heart, they're uh, we're generous people. We like to help our fellow man in need, and I would, I, I, I think I would. Uh, and, and many of the many of the spending problems uh, result from our um, misguided sense of uh, generosity, and I, I would tell my fellow Americans I think that is praiseworthy and laudable to help one's fellow man in need by reaching into one's own pockets uh, to, to do so. I think that reaching in somebody else's pockets to help one's fellow man in need is uh, worthy of uh, condemnation and is nothing more than theft. And uh, since most Americans uh, are, are Christians, I would tell them that when, uh, when God gave Moses the commandment, thou shalt not steal, uh, he did not mean thou shalt not steal unless you got a majority vote in Congress.
0: The name of the book is American Contempt for Liberty, and we've been speaking with its author, Dr. Walter Williams. Dr. Williams, thanks for joining us today.
1: And thank you for inviting me.
0: For more on this and other books, you can visit The Blaze Books at www.theblaze.com books. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theblazebooks and Twitter at The Blaze books. You can follow me on Twitter at bhwinegarden.